Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Hello, this is the EquipCast from the Archdiocese of Omaha. My name is Father Jeff Lorig. I am the pastor of St. Thomas More and St. Joan of Arc here in Omaha, Nebraska. And if you like to hear more of what you're going to hear today, you can subscribe to our podcast. Just go to your favorite podcast platform and search for EquipCast. That's one word. And go ahead and subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. You can also continue this conversation by subscribing to our blog at equip.archomaha.org. And there you're going to find all kinds of great resources pertaining to all kinds of things that we talk about. And you can also change the conversation, influence our thoughts. And we have a comment section there on our website. And certainly you can reply to the email so that you can ask questions. And our primary goal is we want to help parishes to live out the vision here in the Archdiocese of Omaha to become one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Today, I am joined by our guest. He's a pastor here in Omaha, and he's been a, a pastor in, in a couple parishes, and he's the pastor of Christ the King, sort of midtown. And we're joined by Father Damien Cook. Father Damien, it's great to have you with us here today. I am most joyfully uh, present here. And Christ the King Church, for those who may not be aware of like the metro area, is right behind Countryside Village, a small town in the city. <laughs> That's kind of actually the parish. It does feel like kind of a small, small parish in some ways right in the heart of the city because it's very much a neighborhood kind of base parish, which I know so many are, but it's, it just really feels that way. People walk so much to church and to school and uh, are neighbors to each other. It's really beautiful to behold. Awesome. Now, where else have you served? So I was ordained in 99, and first assignment was three years at St. Cecilia's Cathedral, and then two years at St. Patrick's in Fremont, where I was teaching there in the middle school doing assistant things, but started doing Spanish ministry. And then 11 years as pastor in St. Peter's Church in downtown Omaha. And then now a little over five years at Christ the King. And you went to Creighton Prep, is that correct, for high school? I did. So I, well, I went to St. Robert's. We moved here back to Omaha. My mom and dad are from Omaha, originally St. Bernard's and Holy Name, respectively. So I was actually born in Kentucky. I was a Southerner, but I've <laughs> lost my accent. But actually, when I was a baby, we moved to Ohio. And then from Ohio to Omaha, where we registered and, and live in the neighborhood of St. Robert, Bellarmine. And I joined the Catholic school there in second grade. And I've been in Omaha ever since. So prep and then Creighton and then Mount St. Mary Seminary. And was it at Creighton University you thought, oh, I think I want to be a priest? Did you ever think about being a Jesuit or anything like that? All that influence I, from, <laughs> from I high did, school? very seriously. I, well, so, so I'm a weird, I don't have an exciting vocation story, I hate to say, but I do know this, that I was six when we left Ohio and moved here, but people would always ask me as a kid in Ohio, I had a distinct memory, what I wanted to be when I was going to grow up, and I always said a priest, emphatically, and, and what's weird is I have a very good Catholic family, but we weren't like arch Catholic, we didn't do rosaries at home or uh, go to mass every day or any of those kinds of things, but, but certainly my mom and dad and my aunt who live with us, uh, siblings, everybody lived the faith, believed in the faith, and was supportive of the faith. But I don't have any recollection of any adult in my life telling me to be a priest or even encouraging me. It really came out of my own heart. And in my young imagination, I was going to run an orphanage and have my mom bake pies for all the kids on the weekends. So 
I, I still haven't gotten to Boys Town, maybe after Father Bays. I'm still looking for the orphanage to come true. But I digress. So I knew then, but I didn't know what kind of priest. And, and as I was growing up as a vocation, even in a Catholic school, there were a couple other guys who would say priest each year as you'd sort of have those discussions in classrooms. But then they would change. And I was finally the last person kind of saying priest. And it, it makes me feel really awkward. So I wouldn't really say I knew I was going to be it. But I just stopped telling anybody. Mm. Um, it was just discerning it on my own. And Prep in Creighton, eight years of Jesuits, really did it. I got really excited by the missionary aspect. In some ways, I thought of them as the Navy SEALs. And so as a young man being pompous, I still am, um, but kind of want to do something exciting for guys. I was like, man, that's the, like, they just get dropped behind enemy lines and missionary work and just kind of education. And I love St. Ignatius. I still really treasure what he's taught me through IPF and through prayer and discernment of spirit spirits. So even though I dated a bit in high school, I always knew I was going to be a priest. but I kind of came to the realization visiting the Jesuits, like this is not where God's calling me. So it was, it was truly like a, I had to like give that up. And I was like, wow, what am I supposed to do? And then I met with Father Dave Reeson, kind of on a, almost a dare. I just graduated from Creighton in May. I was looking into graduate school, didn't know what I was going to do. And he just said, well, why do you want to be a priest? And I said, well, I really, I love working with people of every age. I love talking about the faith. I love the sacraments. I love adoration. I love the idea of trying to help people or whatever. And he goes, well, that's what a parish priest does. And that was just, again, so dumb and popular. Like, yeah, I guess that is true. Like, that's what the priests I've observed do. And then I went to the first, they had like a summer retreat. And I never had experienced the Liturgy of the Hours, which is the Psalms that we pray is uh, not only priests and deacons and religious, but really the whole lay faithful. Everybody's encouraged to pray the word of God. But I don't know what they even talked about. I just had this overwhelming uh, spiritual experience of God's love for me and joy hmm. and feeling like I'm in the right place and just in, excited and encouraged. And again, it wasn't like there was a sentence or a talk or it was just, I get to be with the brothers. I didn't even know really what I was getting involved in, but that was an infused grace that never left me in all truth that set me at peace. And then I just, I got sent to the seminary and four years later got ordained. So I'm still figuring out what it is to be a priest. I mean, the seminary is really good, but then you get practical experience. And then even beyond that, you become a pastor and then pastor different places and to different peoples and constantly trying to learn and trying to be open. And, and that's really, I feel thankful to God because in some ways I keep looking back and think, well, I screwed up that parish or I screwed up that assignment <laughs> or I screwed up that directee or that person. But, but I'm thankful for the Lord for whatever humility I might have of just wanting to learn and to try to receive new things, not to be closed off in some ways. And, and that's, been a real gift to me because there's so many different books and people and ideas that excite me. That's part of my Gallup kind of, I just like ideas and things. So I still feel like I'm very much learning and the, and the poor people of Christ the King are experiencing that at the moment. Um, <laughs> and St. Peter's before as a pastor who's, who's trying different things. Again, not for its own sake or novelty, but I just had a conviction. I, I continue to feel like God leading me to a greater understanding of what it is to be a priest in a church. And so trying to act on that. Yeah, so primarily the, the topic for today is about pastoral conversion, about your learning and growing from different people and from different situations. But certainly you had a, well, I'll just, my image of you, I was going to say your reputation, but it's just what I think of you, like, you know, very successful pastor at St. Peter's, did an awesome job. And I've had conversations with you about it and you're like, well, I just kind of showed up and people are really good and they made things happen. And so I know you're, you're very humble about it. But even as I talked to other priests, they would mention like, you know, you really had an impact there. Your leadership, your pastoral leadership was very effective in helping St. Peter's to be what it is today. And, and obviously, Father Broheimer is doing an excellent job as well today. 
but uh, you left a mark. I don't think it was a horrible mark. I think it was a good mark. Um, But then Christ the King is extremely different, (laughs) really different, isn't it? And and it really required you to to learn different ways to lead. And uh, so this theme today is really about a conversion experience that you've had as a pastor. Now you did mention your your Gallup strengths. Looks like they are a connectedness, ideation, strategic input, and individualization. I know a lot of listeners don't know what that that means, and but I heard your input quite a bit because you just you've been learning a lot and experiencing a lot, and so you felt this need to kind of output it as well. Like wanted to share what you've been inputting and put that out. So that's a big part of who you are. You you're probably a really good teacher. You want to be able to teach others, but also I, you said like. You have a lot of strategic ideas, but of all the things you do really well, what are like two things you do the best? Thank you. I, I think that the teaching comes out in preaching because, and I don't say this because I, I have a lot of room to grow as a preacher by all means, uh, and to be able to cut it down because I know I receive that input from parishioners. It's a little too long, Padre, and I do get that because the nature of the mass is not always a class or conversion or retreat experience, but I just receive that feedback from people. So I don't take it for myself. I also enjoy doing it. I actually, I didn't really enjoy preaching until a year ago. I mean, I, I always felt like how important it was, but I'd get very nervous speaking in front of people. I still am to this day. And I never wrote out homilies because I wanted to have some freshness and to have conversation, if you will. So I'd make an outline, but I'd always make an outline. And um, at the Global Leadership Summit last year in August, there was one particular video, a talk on kind of fearlessness in, in regards to rejection, like just not being afraid of rejection anymore. And again, I, I talk about infused graces in my life, but that really was an infused grace through a guy, it wasn't a Catholic retreat or anything, but just in the sense of growing as a human being, his philosophical approach towards like rejection is just kind of a numbers game. And you just, you keep persisting. And just because some people said no, doesn't mean that the sixth or seventh person won't say yes. And it's not necessarily reflective on me if like I'm being rejected. It's just not going to work with that, with that person right now or whatever. So there's something that really freed me, but it freed me in the realm of preaching hmm. because I decided after that, I'm not going to use the outline. It doesn't mean that I don't pray and try to kind of mentally think is I, I would not encourage anybody. I think unless they're really gifted is go and like, Oh, I just don't need any help. So I don't do that, but man, it, I actually enjoy preaching and I actually feel like the Lord's giving me things to say to the people for my own sake, but also really to them. So I don't know that this is better or not, but I think I used to approach things more like a sermon, more written out, more catechetical. I'm trying to learn more about stories and kind of relatability and kind of how Jesus did it. I mean, trying to look at parables, trying to be in that full conversation. I'm just looking at the people, except I have to quote scripture here or there or something, Mm -hmm. but so that's really been, you know, a gift. I do think that that's, and I take that really with humility. I think the other kind of element that I, I do think because of the strategic and ideation and even connectedness, I've always had a very systematic brain. So I just see a lot of connections, which for me as a spiritual guy, as a Christian, I see the connections in relationship to God. So beauty and truth and goodness just everywhere. I'm not afraid of secular things. I love pulling from movies and books. Uh, the mm-hmm. things that are good or even the things that are bad to critique and let's talk about it. So it can't tell, I, I mean, the debate like all four years when I was in prep, I just love to kind of argue, but not for the sake of like winning. I just really like conversing with people. Like I guess I do like winning too, but I like <laughs> ideas. Um, I like to have the right idea, I should say. It's not really about winning, but I would like, if I, if I have a wrong idea and as I, I have had, I want to get that right idea. I mean, if there's somebody who argues like, man, that makes more sense. Like I'm convinced. 
And I'm going to convert my heart and my mind to that because I believe that's really true. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's always been a, a ability to maybe, even though I'm terrible at chess or things, but to see several moves ahead, like if you're going to get to there, what you kind of need to do to get to it. I just don't always have the patience to see that through in the long term. So that's one of the weaknesses for me is I, I want to have the fruits and I want to have them now because I can see all the steps that would lead to it and should get to it. And then when they're not immediately fruitful, then sometimes because of ideas, I think, well, maybe I should think of a different idea. So learning to stay the course and learning that I need to actually spend more time giving that vision to like my team. And I, I really kind of convinced them. And now we all refer to each other's teammates and team. And because I see us really as that. I'm not an overlord as a pastor. I really am one among many great people that I get to work with. And really, I'm really blessed here at Christ the King. Our team and our teachers and stuff really are in love with Jesus. So I'm really edified by them. But I, I don't feel alone in that. I don't feel like St. Peter's was a smaller parish, even though I actually had a ton of families. Mm -hmm. But money-wise, we, we had a large segment of immigrants, Spanish-speaking peoples. We didn't have the money to have resources. So it was a secretary, me, a maintenance guy, and then volunteers for mm -hmm. everything else, like with DRE and maybe a little paid stipends. But just everything else was, I, sorry, we did have a, like a musician, you know, for the masses, but it was a pretty small staff. So I would say it's kind of a more conventional old school approach to parishes where I felt like I was doing everything and kind of was doing kind of everything along with an assistant or deacon. But I mean, it was just kind of us. But coming to Christ the King where there's a school, there's just, I don't know, the families are in a different place. It's really required of me with a much broader staff and team to really acknowledge their gifts and to be open towards more collaboration. I like to think I wasn't not, I was not, not collaborative, but whatever the double negatives there, but, but I probably wasn't. And I didn't need to be, I hate to say that, but because of just the way things were structured, mm -hmm. but I really enjoy now having a senior leadership team. Uh, that's been a saving grace to me. But then again, I need to be both kind of forming my, my team, my parish families and individuals, but also trying to just give the vision because I, I don't always know how to get to step to step, but I can see where we're supposed to go. Yeah. And you, so I'm trying to embrace that better. Definitely here again, connectedness. You're connecting all these ideas, all these things that you've been experiencing and that automatically leads you to the next idea. So again, I'm not your Gallup strengths coach, but I'm hearing all, I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> you really come to life and living those out in, in a beautiful way. Uh, so thank you for sharing those with us and being a good model of how you live out those strengths in, in your own way. And well, I appreciate the opportunity. The Archdiocese, honestly, for our whole team, as well as myself, helped make that possible with some Gallup training. And I still wish I could dive more into it, but I, I really do think it helped me to understand myself better and, and my team who also share their strengths and things. Because it was like, when I read it first, I, at first I was disappointed when I got my results. But like, <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't really value any of those things. I want the other things that I don't have. And it really helped me to realize, nope, this is like how God made me. And, and this is actually what I am good at, not just from my own point of view, but demonstrably, like even fruit wise. So stay with that. And then that was another grace to me of just uh, when Father Malin, they talked about in gallops as well, but nobody has all the strengths, you know? So I think I was operating with the idea as a priest and pastor, I've got to be invulnerable. I've got to have an answer for everything. I've got to do it all myself. Man, it's been really liberating. It's not a process because I'm still having to give up part of that, that false idea and false notion of myself. But what a grace to really realize, no, I have other people to help me who have other strengths and they'll fill in the gaps. And I, I don't have to be sort of other than who I am. Um, sort of, yeah, thank you. What, what 
uh, has been the experience of the pastoral conversion? What's it been like for you? So we're really talking about your continue to grow and learn, but you've shared in a conversation that learning to lead and, and pastor in light of the pastoral vision has been kind of a, a mini conversion for you. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah. So I'm so thankful, and, I, and I'm not trying to pat your back, but all the work you've done, Father Jeff, all the work that the Archdiocese has done, the evangelization and catechesis office, but Father Mallon, like when we had that, was that two years ago, almost two years ago, or three years, three years. ago at this point? Three years yeah. ago, wow. But yeah, so how long we've been working with the new vision and stuff. But you know, again, I just, I try to stay open. I really do. Despite the fact that I'm very traditional and dogmatic in some ways that people would look at me, I actually really do love ideas and, and new things. And so when Father Mallon was talking, he just radically convinced me. We'd already been reading Divine Renovation, so that was already, I can't give you like a moment. But between his book and his presence, he just opened up like, two things happened. One, I felt the frustration as a priest, uh, for all years of priest, whether an assistant or a pastor, that I was, I think, giving the best I could of myself in the sense of teaching. So I've been teaching RCAA, like as the priest in St. Peter's in Spanish and English, like myself, like most of the talks, you know what I mean, like that. Again, kind of narrow-minded, because I could have, should have brought in some other people who had giftedness, but again, that mentality of like, well, I'll just do it myself, and, and I like to teach, and whatever. But between RCIA or the marriage couples that would come in, I do the prep with, I meet with them 10 times, which I thought was pretty generous and get to know them and go through focus and scripture and, and even baptisms. And then just that constant frustration of, gosh, I thought we gave them good stuff, but like, I don't see them ever again. Like after they leave RCA, they're there for like six months. And then sort of what happened to these great converts who really had faith and where did these couples go that we spent time together? I thought everything went well. And so I didn't know the answer really, other than I could feel the frustration, the truth of it, which is this is not what I want for my people. I want them to be in community rooted in Jesus. So I think early on, I just always approach things like catechesis alone was sort of enough. If you just preach the truth and teach the truth, like that's compelling on its own. And I still believe there is a beauty to the truth, obviously, but it's not enough. It wasn't connecting to the heart in the same way that, that I wanted it to. And I did look at other churches and it's like, people seem really happy like by their church. I mean, the number of people who would kind of tell me at a store cashier, like, you know, they see my collar and ask me if I'm a priest. And I say, yeah, like, where do you worship? And then they say, well, I'm at LifeGate. I was Catholic, but I'm at LifeGate now. Um, <laughs> and I hear all those. And at first part of it was, you know, you feel defensive because I was like, well, I hope we didn't do something bad to you or whatever. And there was a part of their part where half of it, I think, was kind of letting me know that we didn't serve them fully. I mean, that's at least what I assumed from it a bit. Mm -hmm. But the other half was, I was also discovering like they really did find something and they really seemed excited enough to tell me at the cash register and hopefully not in a negative way towards the church as much as the positive that they felt like they had found Jesus in some way. So I'd had those experiences so much. But when Malin talks about, you know, going out and evangelizing first before the catechesis, I mean, just a huge light went off, like, well, how, how could I have been so dumb for so many years as a priest, <laughs> or even a seminary, or even a Catholic? But it was just kind of, when you grow up Catholic, and you go to Catholic school and Catholic family, nobody was doing anything wrong, but it was just the same idea. Like, well, if you just teach the faith, you don't have to talk about your faith, you don't have to necessarily teach other people about the faith, or it's as long as you do sort of the right thing, and you know why you do these things. And so even in interior life of feeling the grace of the Holy Spirit, or a relationship with Jesus just seemed very foreign. It was just like, you just do prayer as opposed to really prayer as relationship. Can you tell me the difference? You just explained in your own way, the difference yeah. between catechesis and evangelization. Yeah, I think I 
this might be too simplistic, but I think evangelization is falling in love. I think evangelization is that experience and I can't make it happen. It's always going to be the Holy Spirit. I can only try to put in place people, relationships, experiences that might elicit, you know, that God can use because it's on his time. But I really think evangelization is, I, I hate to use this analogy because maybe it's, I mean, I'm not married, so I, I don't fully have the, the understanding of it. That's called a priesthood. But I think when you fall in love with a person, like when you say those vows, you really are committing yourself, and whether we want to say we know it or not, we don't know what's going to happen in the future of that married life together at all. And of course, the vows are like better or worse. Yeah, because we know it's not all going to be great. It's going to be worse. And you don't think of that. But there's like such a commitment because you've fallen in love with the person, like you're willing to go wherever they're going to go. And when I look at the scriptures now and I see just the apostles, I keep trying to think like, what was Jesus like? Not just the truths that we know in the little segments of scripture, but what was he like in his humanity? And his relationship, the way he even said these things, that that they fell in love with him and, and ultimately were willing to, to die for him. Because lots of people saw miracles, and that still didn't convince them. And lots of people heard his wisdom, and that didn't fully convince them. And they had prefigurements from the whole Testament leading towards the Messiah, and that didn't convince them. But something changed in the heart. Um, and so I... I, I'm sorry if I lack a better definition, but just the desire that people might belong. I mean, that's how Father Malin, I think, describes it as kind of reversing catechesis. Like, you know, you have to believe the way that we believe in order to become part of our community, as opposed to how about if you belong to our community and that will lead you in that faith and that love you're receiving towards the truth of believing and then changing your life. Because I, I realize that that's really how all my relationships work. I mean, it's not that I learned something about, I mean, I kind of get to know them, I get to like them, I get to trust them, I get to listen to them, I get to grow, and then suddenly we start going on movies together or whatever, calling on the phone. And so for me, yeah, it's just a really different orientation because I'm not great with relationship. I'm, I'm a kind of a heady guy at times or whatever, bloviate a lot. But I think that just seeing the desire for relationship and seeing people connected to a community of other people who are living Jesus, that they'll be rooted, that when they are going to have those hard times, they're not going to slip away or fall away, that the sacraments really do mean something in their life because they're experiencing grace, not just on that day or ex opere operato, but really feeling that grace and living in that grace. And then being open to the catechesis, to the truth, to like continually keep learning and filling themselves up and dispensing that to others. But I do think like, it's my challenge with the Catholic school right now, and we have an amazing Catholic school, but it is the challenge of the culture so much has been catechesis. And again, I see kids leaving the school. They had good teachers. They believed in the faith. They taught all good things, but they get out of eighth grade and then there's no connection at mass anymore. They disappear. Families disappear. Again, not what we want as a priest. Like we don't want any of our flock or sheep to go AWOL. That's not our, our point or our, our heart. Have, um, have you but had, I mean, yeah. yeah. During, as you've been going through this process, you've had to unlearn a lot of things, right? Like before, it was like catechesis. If I just speak the truth and I have good, solid, orthodox stuff, which isn't bad, we should teach orthodox stuff. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I'm saying that. Uh, <laughs> but it, it just we're, we're kind of missing a piece of the puzzle. So you've had to unlearn that. You've also talked about a, a need for a leadership team. Are there any other things that you've had to unlearn? And maybe was there some pushback that you had some like, I don't want that. That's stupid. Or like, that's not a way I was taught. Or that's not how you do it. Have you been experiencing that? Oh, I, all through this, if, if anyone knows me who's watching this, or at least knows me by quote unquote reputation, I'm again, an old school pre-Vatican II, whatever people want to call me. I don't think of myself as any of that, but that's the labels I have. But um, 
Yes, because I associated first this with like all Protestant Christianity. So there was this, you know, you grow up and you're proud of whatever community, whether that's your nationality or your town or your school or family. So there's just a little bit of that unhealthy, but still very human kind of like, I mean, the church is the fullness of the truth. Don't get me wrong. But you just have that sense of, gosh, everything Protestant is kind of wrong to some degree, even though it wasn't like real animosity. But there was certainly a presumption in my heart that I didn't have a lot to learn from them. And I think that was the kind of biggest thing to me is like, well, a couple of things. One, I had to get over my own mode too of like the church doesn't have it all figured out. And I mean that in the humanity, like looking at secular influences or like education, pedagogy, psychology, philosophy, and the church has always done that actually, but somehow I got in a weird mindset of like, we've got it kind of all figured out. We don't need outside sources. In fact, because they're not really of the church, it might even be dangerous or be wrong. So getting my mind, honestly, to be a little more open, as much as I'd like to pride myself on being open, I wasn't, because I could feel that tug of war in my heart, like, gosh, this feels like this isn't Catholic fully. And yet, after that Malin kind of conversion, I cannot read scripture now that I don't see in like, well, 75% of it, but Jesus's desire to go out and bring other people to him. Like it just, most of the parables, most of his words, why he's even doing it, why he's frustrated with his brothers and sisters who are Jews, who are beautiful people, but like they're not using the gift given to them to be a light. And the church, we do the same thing. So it, again, it was, it excited my heart to, to suddenly really be a missionary because I think I was waiting for people to come to my door. I was expecting them just to believe. And if they believe, then they could come in. So the idea of trying to meet people where they are, uh, which I know a lot of people do beautifully, I just, just didn't have that in me. And the idea of being open to like, yes, my separated brothers and sisters in Christ do have the Holy Spirit and are baptized. And, and just like Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. He can do all kinds of marvelous things that we can learn from, even from secular. Like I told you, the Global Leadership Summit had a huge impact, like just from a talk on rejection. So God can work through and mediate himself anyway, not always through the church, but maybe not through the, I don't want to get my theology right here, but you know what I mean? It's always through the church but I don't know that it's within the externals of the church. So that's been a big thing to me. And I see that my brother priest, and I want to encourage anybody watching, you kind of know who I am and that may either threaten or excite you. But <laughs> I would just say for those of you who really stand with the church, I, I hope I do too, but not to be afraid of, of looking at these other ecclesial communities and just the kind of evangelization because I'll be honest, I see it and I know it can happen. I, there's a church across the way of Coram Deo who just does it really well. I, I have some staff members who are not Catholic and they talk about their Lutheran church and all their small groups and how they're all, they come in and you get brought into the community. And it's really enticing to me. And I just know the hard work of it. We've been trying for years at Christ the King. And they're, I mean, they're such a receptive, fertile ground here. So this is not a dig on anybody. Uh, if anything, it's on myself. But it's really hard to change the Catholic mindset that we want more people to come to church, that our mission is to go out and invite other people, or, or even that we need to have that relationship with Christ. And I dare say a personal relationship with Christ that I can actually witness or talk about at the cash register, just like that lady who's like, I'm at LifeGate. I would love to see a Catholic who just said very proudly, I'm a member of St. James or Holy Name or Christ the King, and I love it there. Why don't you come? It's hard for me not to judge and feel like most of our Catholic churches, in my own experience, is, again, maybe just so catechetically bound that we have lost the heart. I know there's always going to be issues that are calling us to higher truths and morality, and that's going to be hard in our culture that doesn't value it, that's for sure. 
but I do think we could do a different way of, of bringing people in and just even recatechizing first the lost children of Israel, just the Catholics who have never met Jesus, went through Catholic school for 12 years, 16 years, and, and still just kind of don't get it because I didn't get it. And I went through a seminary and I'm still trying to get it, but I feel like I am getting it. Like it's, it's really hard not to see that primary mission of Jesus out of his loving heart to go out and to bring in. Yeah. So that's really excited me and motivated me. And that's why I say, again, I think, gosh, at St. Peter's, I really didn't have that mindset. When I was an assistant, I didn't have that mindset. When I was just living my life, going to school, like I didn't really, I told you, I kept even my vocation story to myself. I should have, I mean, I could have been telling people, maybe encourage other guys, but fear uh, a lot has played a lot on my life for like many people, I think. And that just really kept me sometimes from witnessing or being open. And, but now that I see it, and see what can be, I can't turn my back to it and go back to like, well, I'm just going to go back to laissez-faire and we'll just kind of maintain the church and the school and just be happy that the day passed. Or it's like, oh gosh, the Lord wants so much more from us. Have, um, have you had to uh, lead differently, right? I know you've made great progress uh, there at Christ the King and with your team and you have a long way to go, right? You would freely admit that. You oh, know? <laughs> absolutely. Oh my gosh. So if you're inviting other guys or, or even other if there's other team members from other parishes, maybe their pastor isn't listening to this, you have to lead differently. And what pitfalls have you been experiencing? Because you can't do it the way you used to do it. How are you leading differently today? And how hard is it? <laughs> Thank you for that question. I say two things. Like I said earlier, I get impatient because I can see sort of the end or the path, but don't want to go through all the steps to get there. And that's been a critical, I won't say failure, that's too harsh of a word, but I mean a defect or a detriment to getting there. So I've just learned through experience. So trying to do different, like I think Alpha, which we did and Discovering Christ, which is another form of that. I think CEC weekend. I mean, there's so many beautiful things that are conversion engines that really do turn hearts. I've seen them. Catholic engagement encounter. But just having those doesn't, it still creates that same effect sometimes where people go through and they think of it as a program rather than a, a lifestyle. And so when that sort of formally ends, whatever it is, the liturgical time period of Lent or discovering Christ or Alpha, there can be that drop-off that I experienced in a bigger way like RCIA or weddings or all those, the same kind of things because there's a different, the, the mentalities there of, I'm not like living in relationship with people in the church and Jesus, but I'm kind of going through this thing. And so there's an end to it. So I'm glad that we've done all those because I've learned, but I've really come through after five years of trying to, to live this way to realize smaller is better. And so I think I overreached and overstepped. And I always just pray that I didn't hurt too many souls in that. Because I do know, because some would say, well, just something's better than nothing. But sometimes doing something poorly can actually set people back too. But I leave it all to God's grace. Like I'm not here to judge myself or whatever entirely. But, but I do mean, I do feel like in prudence, the Lord keeps coming back in greater heart. Like even I had grand desires, like let's just get everybody, let's get out to the whole neighborhood, invite in people that are not Catholic. And, I, and that's not a bad desire, I don't think. But like realized, but I got nothing to give them. And then in my heart recently really has been that passage of going to the lost children of Israel, that even Christ himself, there's something that I, that we do need to be that, but, and it's not coming back in as maintaining our own people, but, but maybe it is to start with forming leaders and just mentor. Like right now I'm really on fire for mentor couples with baptism prep and marriage prep and with our new school, like the school, like just new school families and having expectations. So forming those like, just five and starting with five or six couples who just walk with for a while, kind of show them with the expectations and then have them adopt, you know, somebody coming in 
because I don't know, the mass is always going to be somewhat intimidating to new people and sometimes even Catholics who grew up with it. There's not always going to be an alpha that starts right when the person's interested in, in meeting Jesus or whatever. But mm -hmm. if individuals kind of become leaders and have mentors, then I, I really think that's where the real conversion happens because they do feel belonging because they know somebody. I still think of this, one of my ladies, she was not coming to church, but her husband was and kids since I had arrived at the parish. And then at dinner, then she invited me to dinner and I started seeing her at mass and stuff. And then she told me the story. She said she had had just different misgivings and experiences, but it was on our soccer track that like with kindergarten and, and mini soccer and stuff like that, some moms who were formed in not only just their faith and knowledge, but really had an open heart just as a friend. So there's nothing like there's no ulterior motive, just would walk around that track with her while the kids were playing mm -hmm. and talk about silly things, superficial things, but also deep things. And it was because of that relationship that she encountered wasn't a program or anything, but because the people were, were doing what a Christian should do in every occasion, she came back to church and like as gangbusters now back in her faith. So I, I guess I'm just trying to learn from that. I think there's a place for all the conversion engines, retreats, and those that are needed. But uh, I guess the one thing I feel like I'm learning is like individual people, kind of our conversion engines. If if you can get some of them as a couple or an individual, and and not try to think I'm going to conquer the world and get a hundred people, or if I could be training like more like five people and really walk with them for a while, I feel like that's going to bear a lot more fruit actually now than I think of just having. Uh, and I don't, when I say program, I don't want to denigrate it. I don't know what else to call it because it is, has a beginning and an end and sure. has a team. And, but, um, cause I think there's a place for those, but I'm, I'm just coming more and more to the idea of mentorship and more one-on-one -on -one with people. And it won't, it won't reach everybody at first, but I do think it will multiply and it'll have a good foundation that won't be like experienced. And they're like, what's next? And it's like, oh mm -hmm. shoot, I didn't build that part of the road. <laughs> I, I don't really know. So then they just yeah. drift away again. Nice. Like, well, that was nice, but okay, what was I supposed to do with that? Yeah, do so, you have anybody on your team that is able to mentor as well? Like I, I hear you saying, I'm going to invest in some people in the parish. Are you mentoring some other people on your staff or maybe they're already fully equipped? Nobody's fully equipped, but equipped enough to be able to grab a few folks from the parish as well. No, I mean, that's what another thing I've learned, like I said, being kind of a perfectionist, being capable and being independent kind of minded, I've often just done stuff myself. And so seeing my own weaknesses, being open to other people's gifts, that's been a real transition in leadership for me. And I'm still working on it. Like I still have that need to control things, but I really am more conscious of trying to deliberately give that away and entrust that to. So what I mean by that is we're forming, just like I said, with the staff being a team, it's not just nomenclature. It really is a different approach of even talking with them about how we want to run team meetings, what's most fruitful for them, about who are the, some of the three or four parishioners like that they could be mentoring themselves, like not, being, not a huge committee or something, but just we started an evangelization team with like that's got a, a leader and it's, it's just a core group that she's forming them to be leaders basically, who then in turn are going to have like their sub teams of just different kind of areas of evangelization. And then we have a hospitality team, which is a similar kind of mode. But no, I mean, a part of it's just been the permission and unleashing. And I, I'm always edified the number of people I've asked to do things and they all say yes. Like, it's been really crazy because, again, that rejection, that's part of my problem in leadership. I would, I would never want to bother anybody. Like, I'm the guy who I'm carrying a package and somebody offers to open the door. It's like, no, I got it. It's like, I'm an idiot. Like, why would I not let a person open the door for me? I'm probably going to drop these things anyway. But there's just that kind of weird, like, no, I can do it myself, dad, mom. So, so giving that away 
has been a great gift to me and priesthood to realize that people really do want to partake in the mission and to see them come alive. I mean, it's been just a joy, not just like I work less, but it's been the joy of like watching them become what God's made them to be just sets any priest's heart on fire. I think that really is probably the greatest when you see conversion and life and other people, you know, that we often get to see in confession in a privileged way, but to see them just talk about it and how they're inviting other people and how having a meeting and talking about this vision, how that excited them. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, Share a little bit about the vision you do have for Christ the King in the community and what do you want for your people and, and the neighborhood of your parish? I mean, and it sounds really simple, but I want people to have an interior relationship with Jesus first and foremost. So part of that is, I mean, IPF has been great to me. I haven't done as much too to try to develop just interior life for people. So I do think learning how to pray in a contemplative Lexio Divina based way with scripture, the power of scripture is really important. Having said that, I just know that people can't come to something unless they feel like they're wanted and they can have some trust. So part of it is, I want this to be a place that people, well, feel like they're welcome to come to. I mean, that's, that's one of the goals. Secondly, as, as a place having a parish and school, a great desire for unity. So sometimes I think there can be the experience in a lot of our great Catholic parishes where maybe the school or religious ed and the parish, like there's kind of these different segmented spheres of influence or, or areas and they don't always come to meet. And you would hope they'd meet like in the church and worship together, but that doesn't happen. Or, or but, but even in relationship, like, you know, in vision. So the desire for, for true unity around an encounter with Jesus Christ is really the, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's the vision of the diocese. <laughs> I mean, the encounter, encountering Jesus, right? And, uh, and, and living in mercy. Like, I do think we have a long way to go. I have a long way to go. If we're really authentic here at Christ the King, we need to be doing, I mean, there's a lot of generosity here. I mean, unbelievable. But I don't know how much relational. When I was at St. Peter's, I was down in the hood. So like every day I had homeless coming to the door. So I didn't have to sort of even go look. I mean, we had a really active Vincent DePaul and pantry and immigrants. And I mean, just we had everything down there. Prostitutes on the corner, some nice, but that's a different story. So here, it's just a different neighborhood. And so to go search out the, the lonely, the destitute, the unevangelized, they're all around, but it's just not as external. So I, I really feel like the, the test, as Jesus proposed to us as well, is whether we're actually living that mercy and like feeding the hungry and stuff. And I, I'm hoping by that conversion and, and looking at that, we can be more of a merciful church too. Um, and again, that's not to slight the people who are doing great stuff and wonderful and very generous. But I do think as a mission kind of for the parish, we don't have the same connection to kind of encountering other people who are really in need. But can I, can I tease out yeah. your strategic a little bit just to see okay. how, the, how your mind works a little bit? So you have this vision for unity between the school and the parish. As you see that in your mind, what do you think are some steps to move towards that? Well, I do think that empowering, if you will, the parishioners who are already mediators, who are already walking both worlds, mm-hmm. to, to work with them specifically, to really embolden them that they're a critical resource and grace. As I think again of like the lady on the track, I tried like with Discovering Christ or Alpha, we even give like a school tuition break because I thought, well, gosh, that might be an incentive. You know, it's like, I'll give you 500 bucks off of your tuition if you just come through these seven weeks. You get dinner each night. You know, it's going to be nice. And some of that worked, but, but not fully. I think that the invitation to come from some of those families, that did work. 
Hmm. So wherever a person was personally invited, again, not an email, not a bulletin, but really was invited like, hey, and I'll go with you, it worked. And there really has been conversion and change. So part of that is, I think, again, my first thinking was like, we'll just give the information or an incentive, financial, whatever, to the school families or religious ed to kind of come over. But I'm seeing that it's got to be determining the people that really can straddle the line because they, they are walking both worlds. They can see the good, but you got to augment that vision in their own heart of seeing where we're going and where you're trying to lead people and, uh, and experience it themselves. Like there's still a lot of people I'm uncovering who are really good who still haven't even done discovering Christ or Alpha in the parish and would, I think, really benefit from it and love it. But I think there's still a conduit that I'm, I'm not inviting and other people aren't quite yet inviting, even though we have this great thing that is a process for community and fellowship and relationship with Jesus. So I don't know if I really answered your question. I feel bad. I see like, I'm not very strategic. I'm not very no. smart. No, I, might I, have, I might have strengths, I but I don't have, but, but, um, but yeah, no, you, did it. you I, did it. Let me just uh, oh, okay. affirm you. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I was, I'm not trying to be needy, but no, you, you, um, no, you're not. You're not. Uh, you saw a picture and like, you see this, I know we need to be unified. And so you said, I, I've tried a few things, which is what a strategic person does, tries different paths. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. And there's a thousand different ways to get to where you want to go. And now you realize, well, I don't know if this works. Personal invites really work. So maybe we should think about that a little bit more. And then you said, but there are some people that tiptoe the line or not tiptoe, but mediate. They're, they're in the both worlds. They're really super duper like on fire for the Lord in, in, the, in the parish. And then there's, and they're the same people who are also like in my school as well. So what if we just really invested in them and empowered them to invest in other people in, in the school as well. So I, that's a strategic move. And I think that that's the, the stuff to encourage your team to keep asking you like, tease this out of me, get this out of me, like, cause it's there. And I don't think anybody else had that idea. Well, I don't know your team and all, but, but that's what you're good at because of strategic and ideation. You have a lot of different ideas. You've tried them. And now it's really got to have some people on your team that can tease it out for you. And so you can keep clarifying that vision. That's what I'm finding about my new role here. And, and I think, gosh, oh, I should have done that more when I was at the Chancery. Really keep thinking about what is this vision besides the written vision that we have, but like articulate it, keep bringing it into re reality, like help me to concretize it. So I've really given permission, or at least I'm, I'm beginning to give permission to, uh, to the staff rather than just ask me, like, what's the next thing we have to do? Like, just, <laughs> like tackle the next project, which kind of feels my 14 days of being a pastor again, it feels like a reaction. It's constant reaction. We have this problem or there's this email or there's this thing that we have to figure out. And I would rather not do that. I mean, that's fine. It's, it's necessary. But I'd rather them say like, where do we want to be in, in five years? And what are some of the things we need to do to make that next step rather than the constant reacting? But as strategic people and visionary people, we need to have that time to do that. But we also need permission to do it for our teams and for, for our whole parishes, quite honestly. Well, I would say that's one of the greatest sacrifices is I'm seeing, I need to really be using, when I say governance, that's one of the aspects of being a priest in the church. And that word might seem too arch, but it really is the governance of like, of leadership and the authority that Christ kind of had and really imparting, I think that mentoring again to the apostles and spending time with them. It's very hard for me because I have weird ideas. <laughs> And so it's but because I always, just, I always want to be really fair. So like that's why I, have, I cling to rules because I don't want to change something for one and then tell somebody else. I really feel like that's an injustice, even though there needs to be exceptions. But that's a hardness for me. But like 
there's also a part of me that doesn't want to cling to any one parishioner. I feel like I'm supposed to be a dad to all of them. So even though there might be personal relationships or personalities that I get along better, I feel like I should always be going to the tables of the people I don't know. But also it's hard for me because that keeps me kind of detached. And what I mean by all of that is that's been a really difficult transition for me and this is to, what was it? You just, you just said it, brother, before, like when you're talking with your team. Oh, just giving up like things that I think are part of priesthood. And I'm not saying that they're bad things. And guys will have, a diff- this will be one of the sticking points for most of my brother priests, because it's for Ben Boyd and I as well, mm. is realizing there's only so much time in the day and I need to be using sort of like priestly teaching, which is both a charism, but also is part of priesthood, but to be forming and mentoring and, and getting like the team to flourish, knowing that they're going to go out and touch hearts and lives. And I see it happening. That's why it really edifies. When I see their, their success is my success. So I don't need to be the one doing it. But it's been hard because it does re- need radical reorientation because we, we respond to fires all the time. So really hard to keep staying on the vision, keep our leadership team even when there's things in the school or community that just come up and you're like, well, you have to deal with this, but you got to keep plowing. So that's been really hard, but also giving up. I mean, the notion that we'll always have an assistant, the notion that I can go visit kind of all the homebound and do all these different things that I think are really good. And like we're done in the church forever, but is it something that somebody else could do with love and faith? So that's been hard as a tug of war of prioritizing for me of really seeing, like I'm giving up marriage, like we're moving towards a mentoring couples. I've always done all the marriage prep myself, mm-hmm. but that's 10 hours. And I don't mean like just in time, it's, it's well spent with the couple, but if it didn't necessarily lead them to stay in the parish or going to church, like maybe having an actual mentor couple who's married and like them, who brings them to like church over their house for dinner, and then does go through their focus with them. And I just see that as having lasting impact because they're sitting in the pews with people they recognize and have helped them uh, rather than just the priest who can't be personally available to everybody after these classes or different things. So I don't know. So that, so there are, I, I don't know, you know, if anybody watching this, it's tough and you're saying it too. I mean, you know, cause you're a pastor before brother and, and even trying to work with different parishes, you do a lovely job, but being back in the pastor's seat again, it's just always going to be that challenge of all these other, th- I don't mean distractions cause they're not all bad, but things that do pull you away from kind of that central vision where Christ has to leave that town and kind of go on and do the next thing. Like I can't stay and fix all this or heal every, I've got to keep going. So it's hard to stay on target that way, but it's definitely laudable. And it's really what I think the discipline we really have to have if we're going to make this work. Yeah. So just to wrap up, can you share a little bit about how this has been, this pastoral conversion has been intertwining with your own personal conversion uh, as you continue to pray and, and take these things to spiritual direction? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to sound good at first, but it's, ma- it's made me a mess. And, and I mean that, and I think a really holy and good way, where I, I remember somebody in the seminary, one of the seminarians, Darwin Winters, he just said that some priest told him that the, the job of the sort of the spirit is to um, settle what's unsettled and, and unsettle what's settled. There could be a holy unsettling, I think. And again, not novelty not loss of like God or his presence. It's, it's actually forced me to depend on him. That's one of my meditations now, just um, no longer seeing my weakness really as a condemnation of myself. Uh, I still fall into that sometimes, but, but really as opportunity, that it's like even a gift that I need other people and to kind of appreciate that in other people and that I do have things to bring, but not everything. And I don't need to. So f- for me, in some ways, the whole mode 
I think I disclosed this with you or somebody before, but it's led me to even kind of think like, what's the purpose of the mass? Uh, who's this for? Um, I thought I it was just said, like, didn't you just I, say it at a priest council? I think it was I, a priest I, I might have. in front of the archbishop. I think you did. I, I did. I, I embarrassed myself. Like I don't, I'm a priest of 20 years. And I don't know what the, the 21 years now, but uh, I don't the masses, but I mean, it's just here. Like, so I feel like my eyes were open. Meaning I, I can't go back. It's like taking the right pill at the matrix and I can see the truth. It's not always pretty, but I can't go back on it either. So I think that there's like a really fruitful for my spiritual conversion and my heart and relationship, a question I just sort of took for granted, like mass is the thing that we do. And I get up and I talk about the truth and that just is it. And everybody who's there believes what they sort of believe. And if I say the right thing and they don't believe it, then that will convince them and they'll be right. And that's not at all like over the years of priesthood, my own experience of mass, I just kind of deluded myself. But also hearing from people, that's not really what, and people are coming from all different walks of life. So even on a pivotal question like that, I feel like it's enriching because it really is opening my heart to a greater depth of what the mass is. I don't necessarily have an answer for you for that. I mean, I, but I, it leads me to the thoughts then of like, well, what other opportunities do we have to grow in grace that's not the mass? So the mass is what it is. What other things have to happen that maybe you think the mass should be, but can't be, or isn't well equipped to be? So that, what I mean by that mess is there's a, I really do feel both in prayer life and dependence on God in a way greater than I've ever needed him, which is in itself really the heart of, I think, the faith of just depending on him, mm -hmm. which I've been just too kind of ornery and arrogant or independent to, to really do that. And I'm still there, but trusting people more, entrusting to people the mission, all of that is acknowledging like I'm, I'm not that big of a deal, which feels really good even though I'm also embracing like a life where I don't have all the answers anymore. Like I, I think if you'd asked me 10 years ago, uh, Vatican II said these things, here's what the documents say, this is what you implement, you just do them. And, and again, not saying any of those things are wrong, but maybe not having the spirit of some of that, of uh, just thinking like, well, this is the plan. So you just kind of do these things as opposed to, again, the need for relationship. And that means a relationship with God for me, but a relationship uh, really personal with God, but with my team. You know, not just to look at them as kind of just workers or even co-workers, but, but really a family. So Co-workers in the vineyard. Yep. I mean, I hope I'm not a Michael Scott and like am too familiar with my team. <laughs> I really do. I, I look at the, the people God's put in my life, leadership team, but also, again, all of our team that form our staff. And I'm not just boasting. They're really beautiful people. And like just to see what they do every day is, is really great. So I'm also, I know that not every staff has that too. Sometimes there's divisive natures or. But we really are blessed. But but it's been teaching me. So yeah, so I, I'm kind of unafraid to get into the mess. Like I feel like the the mess is where I'm going to find actually the truth rather than a pat answer. Yeah. Uh, Good but. stuff. Thanks so much, Father Cook. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I hope you know you. that. I always enjoy talking oh, yeah. to you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the Equipcast with Father Damien Cook, the pastor of Christ the King. I'm Father Jeff Lorig. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. We want to give thanks to Whitney Bradley, our producer, and we'll be putting a lot of these show notes and references in our blog, which you can find at equip.archomaha.org. God bless, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.